Lyle Boylan. It's a very good afternoon. One of the more serious topics that we've looked into recently is not only with child trafficking, but the abuse of children within state care. And I want to talk about trafficking today because there have been two major reports out in the news over the last few months. So I think people deserve to know what's going on and it deserves the attention that we give it on a regular basis. We get so many texts and so many calls asking us to cover this topic because people feel that it's not covered enough in the media. And I don't know the answer to that. People ask me, well, why is it not on RTE every day of the week? Why is it not? I don't know is the answer. Now, recently, Leo Varadkar was asked about it and he said there was a full investigation as far as he was concerned into what is going on. And the first report, by the way, was Protecting Against Predators study, which was published by the Sexual Exploitation Research Project at University College Dublin. And according to that report, children in care are being targeted by sexual predators due to the lack of national policy and training on exploitation of state in state agencies. It interviewed staff from 14 key agencies working with vulnerable children and found that trafficking and sexual ex exploitation of teenagers was very common and a very common feature, particularly among children in residential care settings. The study's authors now want a risk audit of those residential institutions by the Health Information Equality uh, Authority, HICWA, uh, to be carried out. They're currently overseen by TUSLA, although some are run by private contractors. The other report is the latest trafficking in persons, or the TIP report, and this ranks governments worldwide on their perceived efforts to acknowledge and combat human trafficking, and it's compiled by the US State Department. This year sees Ireland at the same ranking as last year, and that's tier two, and that's not good. This means that the Irish government have failed to overhaul its accommodation frameworking for trafficking victims, which the report said continued to leave victims with inadequate and unsuitable accommodation last year. But what does this all mean? It certainly sounds like Ireland has a trafficking problem, but do we? And what exactly is that problem? And what constitutes a trafficking problem? Here to talk to us about it is J.P. O'Sullivan and Anne Mara of MacPats, or MacPats, sorry. MacPats is the only non-profit organisation in Ireland which works in direct partnership with the hospitality industry and service sectors to prevent child trafficking and to enhance existing protective measures. And they both join me. Good afternoon to you, Anne and J.P. Nice to talk to you today. I mean, first of all, I can come to you, Anne. In relation to this, these reports that we've seen recently, more recently in the Irish Times, and it, it hasn't really been followed up on, with the exception of Grip Media asking Leo Varadkar what was going to happen about it, and he said there would be an investigation. Maybe you could explain to people a little bit better, I suppose, in plain English, exactly what we believe is actually happening and what these reports are telling us. Well, if we're looking at the publication of the UCD research um, that came out on the same day that, unfortunately, the, the scandal in RTE um, came out. And so I think it did get a little bit hidden. But really, that report for the first time put um, an academic foundation on what we've been hearing anecdotally for a number of years now from frontline professionals, both within social work, but also within the hospitality industry. Um, and that report clearly identified that children in care in particular um, who are placed in emergency accommodation, um, such as hotels or B&Bs, are being targeted by organized uh, groups of men and they're being targeted for child sexual exploitation. That sounds shocking when you say it just in plain English like that. So what we're saying is this is not somebody who's taken advantage of a situation, a vulnerable person, but somebody who's intentionally doing that or setting out in an organized fashion to do that. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just a kind of off the cuff, um, I suppose, isolated incident. This is very much organized to the extent that these groups of men know the um, emergency accommodation placement sites and will target those because of the children who are being accommodated there um, presenting with increased vulnerabilities, given the complexity of of why they've ended up there in the first place. And so the organization goes as far as um, the, the research describes how these gangs have been using taxi drivers to transport these teenagers all across the country um, and are booked into hotels where they are met by a number of men and um, are um, exploited um, in a sexual way. Um, but it is really, Niall, um, organized and it is, a, to be honest, a, a money-making endeavor for these men. I mean, it's not just it goes beyond personal gratification. It goes to to the to the sale and to the profiting from these um, children who are being exploited. It's quite disturbing, JP, to listen to that explanation for man. And I suppose, JP, the age groups of these, <coughs> pardon me, children <coughs> or teenagers, um, what is the average age group? And when we talk about their vulnerabilities, what are their vulnerabilities and what are their backgrounds? Um, so what we're hearing or have been hearing certainly for a number of years now is the the average age for criminal exploitation begins around six years of age. Wow. When we look at sexual exploitation, we're looking at an average, um, I suppose, entry entry age about 14 years of age for sexual exploitation. Um, so the, the age range is, I suppose, from, from 17 downwards. Um, the vulnerabilities that are being identified I suppose are varied, um, everything from children who are engaged in homelessness to children who come from maybe challenged backgrounds at home um, where parents aren't fully present for them. Um, we're looking at children who are being, I suppose, brought into Ireland from, from overseas seeking um, international protection to I suppose, children we've, we've seen, Niall, over the last six years Irish national children turning up in other jurisdictions as victims of trafficking. So Irish nationals are being missed here in Ireland, but are being found in the likes of the UK um, as victims of sexual exploitation, labour exploitation and um, criminal exploitation. What we would say is that anybody can be a victim of trafficking as much as anybody can be a trafficker. Um, so it's, we, it's we don't like to think of Ireland as a place like that. And we, we've seen that movie that's been out recently. I know it opens in Irish cinemas very shortly. Mm -hmm. uh, there's The Sound of Freedom. And yes. a lot of people have, some people have condemned the movie and said it's a complete exaggeration. Whereas others, mm -hmm. and I've seen a report during the week from the FBI and the amount of children. So the, the, the movie is not a lie. You know, obviously it's a movie and it's meant to be heartbreaking too, but it's mm -hmm. not a lie. I mean, children are being exploited for, for financial purposes, but we don't, we don't imagine that to be happening when you mentioned about children being brought in from other countries seeking international protection, then going mm -hmm. missing in the system. We don't expect that in Ireland. We don't, that's not the kind of thing. We expect to see that in other countries. Absolutely. And I think we, we certainly have a history with that type of turning a blind eye syndrome here in Ireland. Mm -hmm. We don't like to think that it's happening in our, in our own backyard. But we know from our extensive work around the country that it is happening in our backyard, but there's a reluctance even at, I suppose, government level to discuss it and to open up that can of worms and to say, actually, we have a problem and we need support to, to respond to it. 
we're missing children on a daily basis that are are being trafficked, are being exploited, um, and through and under Irish legislation are clearly victims of child trafficking. But the, the conversation is not being had at so many levels now. We'll come to the Irish children in a second, but the children who are coming in from other countries who are seeking international protection, are these minors unaccompanied minors or are they coming in with people? In other words, are they just being sent here on their own and being told you'll be picked up at the other end? Or are people actually bringing them in? Or do we know that? So it's it's both. Now we would certainly see more clearly the unaccompanied minors um, that are seeking international protection, being at heightened levels of vulnerability. But we've seen reports over the, the past number of years as well that categorically say the children are being brought in to Ireland, accompanied and controlled, and their movement restricted for the purpose of sexual exploitation. These reports now, the spotlight lands on them for maybe a day and they disappear very, very quickly. And when you say they disappear, they're just, that's it, they're just gone into the system, they're just gone somewhere and we have no idea where they are. Yeah, and they receive very little media traction. Like you you mentioned at the beginning around the trafficking in persons report from the US State Department. This is a report that lands every July 1st, first in the country. Um, it's one that brings heightened levels of, of warning from the US State Department, yet it never appears in the media. Um, why why is that? Why, why is, I mean, sorry, let me just come back to Anne. And I receive texts on a daily basis, particularly, I suppose, since the, the Sound of Freedom came out, the movie came out, a lot of people are quite concerned about child trafficking now. I think it's opened people's eyes a little bit to it. But certainly over the last month or so, we get texts constantly asking, why aren't you talking about it? Why aren't you talking about it? Why aren't the media talking about it? I, I know you said when the report came out, of course, the RTE scandal uh, happened on the same day. So that didn't certainly help. And I can tell you now which one I think is more important. Um, but in saying that, why do you think, you know, it's not being covered as much as it should, with, with the exception of the Irish Times who cover the report? Why? I do. I think um, it is, Niall, because there is a huge amount of ambiguity and misunderstanding around what child trafficking is. I mean, I think if you ask um, any member of the general public with limited knowledge, I think their, their, their understanding would be that child trafficking is all about the trafficking of children into Ireland from other countries. And that's just simply not the case. For child trafficking to occur, there does not need to be a border crossed. There does not even have to be the movement of a child in order to constitute a case of child trafficking. So I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. And unfortunately, that misunderstanding um, is uh, has been communicated and verbalized by our own Taoiseach, um, who said that we don't have a great problem with human trafficking in this country because Ireland is an island and it makes it very difficult for the small boats to arrive um, onto these shores. And that does such a disservice because it reinforces those misconceptions that the general public has. And those misconceptions extend all the way, unfortunately, um, to state level and within our government departments. So I think really opening up the conversation and having these types of um, conversations with yourself, Niall, are extremely important because it's almost an opportunity to debunk the myths. The fact of the matter is when we look at Ireland and we look at our closest neighbours in the UK and Northern Ireland, they are identifying hundreds and hundreds of child victims of trafficking on an annual basis. 
here in Ireland for the last three consecutive years, Ireland has only formally identified five child victims of trafficking. So when we compare that to the findings in the UCD scoping research project, I mean, there's a huge disparity. Why is it not appearing in the media? I think people are afraid to touch it with a 10 foot barge pole, because once you start unpicking and uncovering the lid that has been so firmly placed on the mm -hmm. issue, then there's this eruption. And um, and, and let's face it, Niall, it's, it's a horrific um, underbelly of Irish society. Um, it's, well, it's, it's, it's seedy and it's sordid and it's dark and it's it's yeah. everything that we imagine it to be because that's exactly what it is. But when Leo Varadkar was asked about this going back about three weeks ago at a press conference, he, and what you're saying about being dismissive, he was dismissive. He says, oh yes, that's under investigation. He was asked about the report in the Irish Times, the, uh, the report, but he said it was under investigation. And that was it. There was no, there was nothing else to say about it. Have you heard anything about this investigation or do you know about this investigation or who's carrying out this investigation? I, no, um, I haven't heard anything about it. Um, what I will say is that TUSLA are um, working with MECPATS and we are providing um, a rolling out of training for, for the social work um, especially in residential care placements. So there has been a state response um, mm -hmm. by TUSLA. Um, but in terms of the investigation, no, we haven't heard anything. And JP, in MacPath, what is it you do with, I suppose, organisations, companies, be it hotels? I don't know if you're even talking to taxi drivers about how to recognise these things. What is it you guys actually do? I know you're a non-profit organization, but what do you do or, or how do you do these workshops or train people to recognize human trafficking? So now the day-to-day -day work is really, it's very far from rocket science what we do. And um, we open up conversation about trafficking. We frame trafficking for agencies, organizations um, within Irish legislation, um, how it's spelled out within the law. We, um, I suppose we, we, take the time to, to work with the staff um, within all these agencies to understand fully what trafficking looks like. And we provide them with lists of indicators, things to look out for, things that might um, sort of spark concern within them. And we educate them then on how to report these formally um, so that the, the children are attended to or the, the cases are investigated by in Garda Síochána. Um, but when we began now, 10 years ago, the agency began 10 years ago, the focus was very much on hospitality. Now, we found it was actually through the um, COVID period of lockdown that a number of agencies perhaps had the time to look at their internal policies, had an opportunity to look at what maybe they should be doing in the area of anti-trafficking. Um, and we were overwhelmed by, I suppose, calls for support during that period from agencies like recruitment agencies, security um, operatives, um, again, the hospitality industry, um, social workers, youth workers. So the, the work or the, the face of the work has changed a lot over the, the past number of years now. And it's been heartening to see concerns emerging um, from all of these frontline professionals who know that they are interacting with child trafficking, but are not equipped to be able to respond to it. Is there, is there an, an element of apathy to it? If I, if I go back in time, for example, into the, you know, the dark 
past of the Catholic Church and um, when things went on and nobody really kind of said anything because maybe we felt, oh, should they know what they're doing, you know? And, and we now know, of course, that a lot of things went on that shouldn't have gone on. And I'm not suggesting for a minute that everybody within the church was responsible for that. But certainly there were many responsible for that and many who didn't say anything, which is always the thing, isn't it? They, people who don't say anything. And when we look at the report and we see, say, stories of a teenager being picked up from residential care, you know, taken away, brought to a hotel, given jewellery or money or drugs in return for sex by these gangs and then brought back again. There's people involved in that transaction. You know, there's the resident, oh, pardon me, there's the residential care operators who should be aware of where they are. There's the taxi driver maybe that brings them to that hotel. There's the hotel receptionist, you know, who's who watches them walking past maybe. You know, maybe, I don't know, they think they're a family or something, I don't know. But there's a lot of people in that chain, in that process. So is it trying to identify, or get those people to identify this and not to have that apathy we would have had 40 years ago of, Asher, I'm sure it's grand. It, sorry, I'll come to Anne on that. Anne, is that is that what we're trying to do or what we need to do? Absolutely. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's not just the responsibility of one State Department. It's not the responsibility of one particular industry. It it has to be across the board. And that's what the real thrust of the work that we do in providing training and workshops to different industries and different frontline professionals and emerging professionals, even in universities. I mean, it's around opening up that conversation mm -hmm. because it there, it is such it is uh, very often we say in anti trafficking circles language on a phenomenon that is happening. I think you're breaking up just a little bit there, Anne. I think your your internet is breaking up a little bit. That's okay. That's okay. Um, yeah, no, and I understand the language that we use is extremely important around this. But to give us some people some idea of of the report and what was in the Irish Times there recently as well, and some of the examples of people don't understand the seriousness of this. And I mean, you're talking about you know a, a thirteen or fourteen year old teenager who may have some social problems because there were vulnerabilities and where and her background, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, taken advantage of. So. When you talk to the staff of these organizations and the residential care, how are the men, these the, the gangs of men, and we're saying it is organized gangs in a lot of cases, how are they getting access to that 13-year-old? Do we not have a responsibility to that 13-year-old because they're a minor and under the age of 18 to make sure we know where they are at all times? Is that What are the staff saying? So what we are hearing now from those frontline workers that are working in residential care is that they feel very much disarmed to be able to respond. Um, They've, they've identified that this is happening. Um, we've, we've heard anecdotally from, from a number of them that they find themselves in positions where they're standing in front of these taxis outside residential wow. care units, appealing to the child not to, to go, appealing to the taxi driver not to take the child. Um, they've said, you know, that the child may get out of the car, may go back into the unit, but 10 minutes later, they're out and they're around the corner and they're in another taxi. But when you say, That's when you sorry for interrupting, but when you say the staff member is appealing them not to get into the car, do we mm. not have the authority, because they're minors and they're a ward of the state or they're under supervision of the state, do we not have the authority to say, you're not going? There's nothing, no, like as a parent would, you're not, it's not about appealing, get back inside. Mm -hmm. do we, um, we certainly have that responsibility but, you know, when, when you find a 16-year-old standing in front of you, I'm sure, and they're 
disobeying what you were requiring or requesting them to do. And what mm. more can you do than, suppose, than yeah. continue to appeal? And and when when you say they're paying for sex with these young girls, I mean, and, and I'm not too sure by the way the way that there's young boys involved as well. I'm sure that that would be a smaller amount. Um, when you're saying that they're paying, are they paying them monetarily, or are they rewarding them with gifts, or what is what is the report and the staff said about that? And so, what we're hearing now, just on that point, is everything from the exchange of. Um, takeaway meals, happy meals, to vouchers, to um, branded goods, yeah. um, to cash itself. Yeah. Um, we hear again from our, I suppose, our colleagues in residential care that, you know, children are, are going out, and they are children, um, are going out and returning to the residential care units with, with branded clothing, with handbags, um, with makeup, with cash, unexplained amounts of cash on them. Um, so the the I struggle to use the term reward, but the, the exchange is is varied, but it is there. I mean, it, it is shocking to, to listen to this and to hear these reports, and, and people find it unbelievable because we think of Ireland as such a wonderful place, as I said already, JP. So it is quite shocking to, you know, to hear these stories. It's almost like an awakening of some, in some sense, because before I spoke to you guys, maybe a month and a half ago or so, I had no idea that this was still happening. I, I thought that was an Ireland of the past, you know, and I thought we were yeah. kind of on top of that kind of situation. Yeah, and, you know, use the word awakening, I think it's a very, very good term to put upon it. But, um, I suppose I'm quite at times disheartened by the level of awakening um, that, that does take place. You know, people hear what is happening. People have the experience of what is happening. We receive reports from the likes of UCD, um, et cetera. But the, I suppose the momentum around the, the exploitation of children, the conversations, the action, the reaction is, is so slow. Um, I mean, I've been working in the area with Anne for the last seven plus years. And at times we, we have these conversations and we end up banging our heads off a wall because people are so slow to listen, to hear mm -hmm. and to respond. And Anne, sorry, I'm glad we have you back there, Anne. And is anybody ever prosecuted? I mean, are these men or has anybody ever called the guards? Have they ever been taken away? Have they ever been charged with anything? Because, of course, if we suspect that some man, you know, in his 30s or 40s is having sex with a 14 or 15-year-old girl, you know, surely there should be charges. So has anybody been ever charged? There's been nobody has ever been, even though human trafficking has been an illegal criminal activity in this country since 2008, the state only secured their first prosecution for such the summer before last. Wow. So, um, and when it comes to child trafficking, there has never been a prosecution for child trafficking in this country. And is there a particular type of profile of the individuals that are doing this to these uh, girls or these young teenagers? Well, I think uh, JP might have said it earlier, but, you know, in the same way as we say anybody can be a victim, anybody can be a trafficker. And so are they, are they people um, coming from all walks of life? It sounds like, a, you know, a bad movie that I've watched where, you know, you see these kind of rich men paying for all sorts of horrible things to happen to human beings. It, you know, what I'm saying is, are they coming from all walks of life? It's not a class thing. It's all age groups of men, you know, between, I don't know, between the age of 20 and 50 years of age or whatever it happens to be. So it's just, there's no particular set profile. 
Absolutely not. And I suppose, again, the point that was made in that report and the research showing that these girls were taxied all over the country um, to hotels um, just shows, and we know ourselves from the work that we do, that this is not confined to the cities. It's not confined to Dublin or Cork. It happens in all villages and towns across this country. And the fact of the matter is, Niall, the demand is there. If there was no demand, there wouldn't be an issue with child yeah. trafficking. But there is, unfortunately. And again, that's the dark side of this conversation that I think people feel really uncomfortable speaking about. And it's not something um, that people generally like to to speak about. So. How do we, well, okay, well, we, we know what's happening and we could go into further details that were in the report as well of what staff had suggested and even the age groups is horrifying to even listen to, you know, six up to the age of 18 years of age. After 18 years of age, unfortunately, we can't be responsible for people, although we can put in steps in place to make sure people are not taken advantage of. But in saying that, we know what's wrong, we know what's happening, we now have to admit what's happening. How do we stop it? Um, well, I think there's two pieces to that. First is the ongoing um, awareness raising and training and getting this conversation out into the open, um, like the conversation we're having today. And the second is the legal um, uh, structure that's put in place. There is a piece of legislation going through the doll at the moment, and we hope that it will be enacted by the end of the year. And it's going to see for the first time the formal identification of victims of trafficking in this country be put on a legislative basis. So it is going to appoint competent authorities such as TUSLA, the HSC, um, with formal um, responsibility for the identification of victims of trafficking. That is a huge hugely welcome development and I do think it is in part in response to the likes of the TIPS report from the US State Department but various other external reports that have consistently criticised the lack of response um, on behalf of the Irish state to this issue that is growing in prevalence year on year. I, I know things expand as the population expand, but you would imagine as we become more knowledgeable that things, you know, would, I'm not suggesting go away. You'll always have problems in society. There are always going to be victims and predators, sadly, uh, but certainly that we could prevent more of that. The other problem as well is those children who are going missing and we don't know what's happening to them and that they're okay. I mean, JP, if I could just ask you about that, how many children, you know, in the last few years have gone, literally gone missing? Well, now the reports are varying be honest, you know, we've seen figures like 40, 50 um, named or mentioned over the past number of weeks. Um, it's extremely, extremely concerning. When we look back to to 10 years ago, when we had hundreds of children going missing, you know, very little has changed. Um, and when, when you say they're going missing, so, so describe to me how that happens. Are they children who are, say, Irish children within state care? Are they children who are being imported into the country, brought into this country, or is unaccompanied minors and collected at the other end and then disappear somewhere? I mean, who are these children? So the, the vast majority are unaccompanied minors. Well, they're children that are coming into the state seeking protection, have a connect point with the state, with the statutory service and are disappearing out of that statutory service without trace. Um, do we, do we so know if any of them end up back with their relations or reunified with relations or 
do we think the majority of those are basically being trafficked for I illegal purposes? Well, what the state has formally said is that the majority of those children had indicated that they plan to return home and plan to be reun reunified with a parent or a caregiver. Now, I struggle with that response uh, for a number of reasons. Well, because we don't know. Um, well, we don't know, but I think if you, you presume that an 11, a 12, a 13-year-old can um, manage to get themselves on a flight or on a boat and get back to their home country, unaccompanied by the state, there's something not quite right with that. No. I certainly know myself when I was 11 or 12, I wasn't in a position to be able to do that. I wasn't armed with the, the capability to be able to do that. So I'm not quite sure when the, the state responds like this, how accurate they are. It's, it's When you think about how heartbreaking that is, I mean, I remember my own parents when I was 12 would struggle to allow me to get on a bus on my own, never mind leave a country. Absolutely and go on a plane, go to a strange country yeah. and be lost and get back home again. It's just, it, the mind boggles. And the mind boggles about how apathetic we are towards this. And mm -hmm. I know, Anne, you're do and JP, you're doing great work in training people to recognise this because that's really the key to it. You can have all the legislation in the world. You can have life sentences in jail if you want to, but that's no good if you don't actually catch anybody and people don't recognise it, I suppose, Anne. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, it's such a complex issue now because a lot of the, ch the children who are involved, uh, who, who have been caught up in child sexual exploitation, don't even self-identify as victims many times. They don't realise that what they have been um, exploited in is, is any harm against themselves. And it makes me think of the case up in Belfast a few years back where 22 girls who were living in state care at the time were targeted by a group, an organized group of men who um, groomed them, um, targeted them, much like what's happening down here in the Republic of Ireland. And those girls truly believed that they were in loving relationships with these men, that they were their boyfriends. You know, and it started started off very innocently. These men, you know, bought them gifts, showered upon them attention and and love and everything that they were craving. And over the course of time, it turned into blatant exploitation, whereby these girls were driven around the Belf Belfast city in taxis and dropped off at various different hotels and apartments and sold for sexual exploitation by these men. When the PSNI uncovered that particular story or that case, they arrested the men involved. There was up to 50 men um, identified in that particular case, and they brought the 22 girls into safety. When they questioned those girls and asked each one of them to provide testimony against their traffickers mm -hmm. and what had happened to them, not one of them would provide testimony because no one, not one of those girls believed that they were a victim of any type of crime. They believed that what they were doing was in exchange for something that they were getting anyway. And so even if the sexual activity appears consensual, it's still child sexual exploitation because is. a child can never consent to his or her own and, and in those cases, even though those children seem to have some sort of Stockholm syndrome, I suppose it's very similar to that, and believe these guys were their boyfriends or were giving them gifts or, or believe that was okay, mm -hmm. The fact that they're, say, 14, 15 or 16 years of age and they're not legally allowed to consent anyway, is that not enough to put those men then behind bars? 
Well, it does depend upon the testimony or the statement of, of the child themselves. You know, if a child doesn't believe that any harm has taken place against them, then th I think the DPP would then struggle to, to find a case against wow. the perpetrators who are involved in that case. And we, we've seen that in the UK as well, in Rotherham, I think, wasn't it, many years ago yes. in Rotherham in the UK, very similar situation. So that's more or less exactly what's happening here in organised gangs. How many of these gangs do you believe there may be operating in Ireland? Or is it is it a very organised thing or is it kind of, um, you know, is it mishmash? Is it is it very organised? I, th I think it's organised to a certain degree, but whenever there's a vulnerability, there will yeah. be those people and individuals and groups of people who will take advantage, who will swoop okay. in and take advantage. So I think it will be hard. It will be hard. To, I mean, it would be hard to estimate a number, but I do think, you know, there are plenty of people willing to take advantage of another person's vulnerability. Well, listen, I got to thank both of you. And uh, sorry, JP, you want to say something quickly there, did you say? I was just going to say something just very quickly. Now, I think, you know, when we look at the likes of the UCD report and it's a it's a par powerful piece of research, we have to to bear in mind or consider as well, you know, that this, this particular piece of research looked specifically at children in care. Yeah. children who are captured within data that the state holds but we have those children that never come into contact with the state service that are not captured in data that are falling outside of the parameters of um i suppose recognition or identification you know we have that huge issue in the country where people aren't trained to be able to spot the vulnerabilities or the indicators of trafficking so we we should really keep in mind that the extent of the exploitation of children has not so, been captured in this country yet. And what, what, you're saying, what you're saying is the problem is a lot bigger than this report, essentially. Absolutely. And we see additional reports coming out of, or we've seen additional reports coming out of the University of Limerick, specifically looking at grooming and trafficking of children for criminal exploitation. And they would have estimated a thousand children um, in one specific region of the country. But the, the I suppose the exploitation or the uncovering of exploitation is only beginning. Yeah. Um, we we need to to have further investigation and scoping studies around the country to see just how extensive the problem is in order for us to be able to build responses that are, are accurate and are in keeping with the, the, the nature, the extent of the problem. And mentioned, you know, the legislative changes that are coming down the track. And it's great to see that. It's great to see I suppose, the wider conversation, but we had, I suppose, lobbied for and appealed for a child-centric national referral mechanism, um, and this has been disregarded by the state. It wasn't just ourselves, it was the likes of the Children's Rights Alliance, the Ombudsman for Children, um, many, many bodies saying we need to look specifically at the issue of child trafficking. And how, how, sorry for interrupting, but how has the Minister for Children been on this occasion? We've had numerous Ministers for Children, and some have suggested some are doing a good job, some are doing a bad job. Are they quite active and had their involvement in this? And they, are they aware, do you believe, of the problem? They're aware. We certainly brought it to their attention. Now, the response that we've received from the Department of Children is that is the remit of the Department of Justice. Right. Yeah. That's... That's well, mind blowing, to be honest with you. Surely, surely the minister for children should be responsible for children or anybody under the age of eighteen, or certainly their protection and safety. I mean, the, obviously, the Department of Justice is responsible for what happens after you catch these individuals doing something wrong. I would imagine that's their remit. So, do you believe that's just passing on the book, so to speak? One hundred percent. No. Yeah. 
quite shocking, quite shocking. Well, look, yeah. well done to you. And I've, I've been on your website, on Mac Pat's on the, on the website, and you do some wonderful work. And I've read a lot of the stuff that you've been doing recently and the workshops that you're doing with people to try to make people aware. You can't stop this from happening. That's not your job. But your job is, I suppose, to make sure that those who work in hospitality, those who work in the caring industry, those who work in residential care, et cetera, can recognize when something is going wrong. And I suppose that's all you can do, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes, and education in and of itself is powerful. And we wouldn't be doing what we do day after day if we didn't believe in the power of that education um, and the power of having the conversation in the first place. Well, look, you know, I mean, if you're talking to, say, one hotel or one sector of the community or, or whatever it is, and those workshops, you know, recognize one case of somebody walking in a door with a child they shouldn't have with them, that's one child saved, and it's well worth every minute that you spend with them. But look, thank you very much indeed, both of you, for talking to us today, JP and Anne. Thank you very much indeed. And if people want more information, by the way, they can go to your website as well. Um, and the website, sorry, JP, again, it's www.macpats. I'll spell that for people, actually, if it, it's M E C P A T H S uh, dot I E if you want to go and get more information. Guys, listen, thank you very much indeed. I appreciate it. Thank you, Niall. Thank you, Niall. The multi award winning Niall Boylan podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085 100 2255. The Nile Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.